it's somewhat fitting that this song be the lead-in today because I've got a story that I'm going to get to later in the show that I think it's a bad moon rising for the outdoor community and it's just the latest example of how some in this state want to victimize the outdoor community. I'll get to that a little bit later in the show and and I think when you hear hopefully when you'll hear the rationale you'll agree with it and make a few phone calls because it seems to me that we are being singled out as a community of outdoor users for something that is a much larger and has a much wider problem and um, so anyway we'll get to that we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show but we have a full show today for you we're going to be talking white fishing um, probably one of the more obscure or certainly forgotten fish species, game fish species in the state of Utah. And it's one of those this time of year, if you're a river fisherman, that you can really enjoy uh, kind of an added bonus to your regular fishing because we have a good population of whitefish in the state, and they are um, not only a healthy population of, of fish, but they're also a lot of fun to catch. And we've got some size to them as well. That's the other thing that you may uh, not be aware of is uh, what kind of size we have to whitefish here in this state in our rivers. So anyway, we'll get to that probably when we talk with George, and that will be our segment. Uh, Gary Winterton will also join us, and we'll be talking uh, the uh, Hooked on Utah segment that he's got for us. Last week, he talked uh, about the Amazon That was part one, showing those 12 and 14-pound peacock bass. Unbelievable. Uh, This this week, apparently, he is closer to home, which is good because I'm sick of seeing him with the sunshine and him complaining about all the high humidity and high temperatures, especially when I'm looking outside. Now, decent weather, obviously, the last couple of days. But um, no one wants to hear a guy complaining about 90 degrees and 70% humidity when it's in February, right? Uh, and then there, uh, the third thing, and what we'll be leading off with, is the Division of Wildlife Resources, along with state parks, making some changes that will affect... A lot of us who utilize the state park system here in the state of Utah. And so without further ado, we welcome in Faith Heaton Jolly, who is the public information officer from the Division of Wildlife Resources, who uh, not only uh, gives us the information on a weekly basis, but also provides us with a number of guests uh, really every week throughout the year. So first of all, Faith, thank you for your contribution to the show. You really are invaluable. And secondly, thanks for joining us this morning. How are you doing? Doing good, yeah. Thanks so much for that glowing welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it is an understated right. welcome. You deserve more than that. Uh, let's talk about the, the uh, one of the things that has occurred over the last little while. Actually, the the rule that was applied approved clear back in November of last year, uh, but goes it actually went into effect this past Monday um, regarding new rules and hunting in our state parks, which is kind of an exciting thing, I think, and it's certainly a change from the past. Yeah, this is definitely something that we are, you know, we're excited about. It expands hunting, which obviously is something that's important to us as an agency. Um, We previously, the rule had said that basically all state parks were closed to hunting unless it was specifically designated that, you know, hunting was allowed. Um, But yeah, this new rule basically flip-flops that, um, changes the wording, and so basically it says that all parks are open to hunting unless specifically designated. Um, So it's, it's pretty exciting for us. Yeah, it used to be hunting was prohibited in 30 of the state parks, Um, And then only specific types of hunting were allowed in 13 of the other parks. And now hunting is um, allowed, all hunting is allowed in 23 of the parks. 
Right. So it just gives a lot different areas and kind of expands that. And yeah, it's something that, like I said, we're we're pretty excited about. We always like to make it is you know easier for people to be able to get out and uh, and get some some locally sourced meat. So yeah, we're excited about that. Yeah, it's interesting because, um, I, and I'm sure there are some people who don't hunt that think, oh man, you know, can I safely go to a state park now? Um, the answer obviously is yes, and there are rules, and really all the other state laws regarding um, shooting, uh, when weapons can be discharged, things of that nature, all those things are still in a pl- in, uh, in application, correct, around the state. So that doesn't change anything with regard to discharging firearms within roads and buildings and things of that nature. Totally. And that's one thing, you know, we always tell our hunters that they need to be aware of all those rules, the boundaries, you know, the different regulations. Uh, because, yeah, hunting is highly regulated. You know, that's partly why it's it's safe is because there are these rules and laws and things. And so, yeah, anybody that's there just to hike or camp, um, can rest assured that's still going to be safe to do so. You know, we still have those rules that apply, like you mentioned. You know, can't shoot within the you know the amount distance between a road and trailheads and things like that. So yeah, it's not something that's going to you know jeopardize anyone's safety. Um, and you know, like we mentioned, there was previously hunting was allowed um, in a bunch of the state parks, mm-hmm. and some people may not have just been aware of that. So it's been around for a while and. This just kind of increases that multiple use, you know, for these different recreational areas. And obviously, I think that is one of the big things is the multiple use aspect of it, because it is funded in large measure, uh, certainly by the people who enjoy those type of outdoor activities. Um, East Canyon State Park, I know, is one of those you used as the example this week in the in the press release that was open only to upland game hunting before. Now it's open to all hunting. And, and I guess that speaks to a, a lot of the issues here is that many of our state parks are adjacent to big game hunting areas, but in the past some of them have not been open now they will be and it really does allow us to maximize that those locations it does yeah and and like you said you know there's a lot of different areas around the state that you know have good hunting for you know maybe some are better for waterfowl but maybe some are better for big game and so this kind of makes that more consistent to allow all these different types of hunting in a bunch of these different areas and this was initially proposed because last year when echo became a state park um, you know, we realized hunting had previously been allowed in that area before it was a state park. And so, you know, this, the way that the rule was, was previously written was kind of restrictive. And so that changed that area that people could no longer hunt there. And, you know, a lot of these areas, it's, it's kind of a heritage thing that you go, grew up going to the same spots every year. And so, you know, that's definitely something that us and state parks you know, didn't want to take that away from mm-hmm. people. And so we were excited that they that they were willing to change this rule. I'm looking at the 15 parks that are not going to allow hunting, and really they're pretty easy to see why. You know, you've got Anasazi State Park Museum, which, of course, is uh, is down uh, in the southern area of the state. You've got the Camp Floyd Museum out west of Lehigh. I mean, these are areas the Flight Park State uh, recreation area, pointing them out. I mean, they're areas that are, are so obviously you would not want to do it. Um, Utah Lake State Park, for example, those those places there where you've got the, the boundaries of the state parks um, adjacent to either large 
population areas or the state park itself isn't large enough to allow for any hunting. But you can go to the Utah Hunt Planner on the DWR website, and they'll give you the actual boundaries as well as which state parks uh, are closed and which are open, and they'll give you the actual boundaries for the state parks as well. So you, you really, it's an easy thing to find if you want to look for it. It is. And, and like you said, you know, most of these are pretty obvious. You know, they're either a museum or like, you know, Green River, it's a golf course. Because, right. Yeah, these are places that you're not going to want to, you know, this is the Place Heritage Park. It's right in the middle of Salt Lake. So, yeah, most of them that are the 15 that do not allow hunting, it's pretty obvious why they don't allow hunting. Um, and I will note, too, because you'd mentioned, so yeah, Utah Lake State Park and Great Salt Lake State Park, the parks themselves are close to hunting. But you can actually hunt on, you know, some of areas of these, you know, water bodies. Right. Um, so that's why it's important to, yeah, look on the, in our guidebooks, we have those those boundaries, as well as on our hunt planner on the website, like you mentioned, um, to be able to see kind of what areas are specifically allowed. It does open up a lot of areas, though, that uh, previously had restrictions on them, and and it certainly helps uh, outdoorsmen to be able to utilize the land, like you said, that multiple use, which is what, of course, the state parks were originally set aside for, despite what some people feel like that's their own private playground in this state. It was set aside for public use and for um, multiple use as well, and this is just one of those that, if you can do it safely, and you can do it and include people then why exclude them? And I, again, I know that flies in the face of some conventional wisdom with what's happening to our outdoor communities these days, but uh, certainly that's the way the state parks was set up. And I know you've done this in cooperation and conjunction with the uh, state parks and recreation. This is kind of a, it's a, a com, kind of a, a, an effort of uh, cooperation between the Division of Wildlife Resources and state parks. Yeah, and this yeah, this was a joint news release with them as well. And, yeah, they've been really great to work with. And, you know, they really value that, you know, hunting, fishing is a, is a big heritage for a lot of Utahns. And so they were really supportive of, of trying to expand that and make that more consistent and open to these different areas. Um, and, you know, like you said, the majority of our hunting population is very responsible and they're very respectful. And so, you know, for anybody that might be concerned that this, could increase, you know, raise safety concerns. You know, they, they, they haven't had any issues before now in these state park areas. And so, you know, we don't foresee any any safety hazards or things, you know, after this this rule change that expands it either. And this is this is already in effect. It went into effect this past Monday. So um, folks who are going to be, again, remember the seasons, all seasons apply and all rules apply as far as discharge right. of guns with roads and and buildings and within, you know, certain uh, feet of, uh, uh, of any kind of population, obviously. So all of those firearm restrictions apply. Now, let me ask you this. Um, if a state park is within the confines, and I'm not sure that there is one, that's within the confines of a municipality that prohibits the discharge of a firearm. Is that an issue? Uh, I understand certainly that the uh, the municipality rule applies, but if you've got a, uh, a state park that falls within the boundaries of a, of a city or a town that does not allow you to discharge a firearm, and that would include, I would imagine, bows and arrows as well, um, those rules still apply also correct they do yep so even though maybe we allow hunting in that area if it's a state park or you know whatever um those those city municipality ordinances 
still apply. Okay. Yep. So you could be cited for firing a firearm, you know, while hunting in that area. So that's why we kind of specify, you know, we want to make sure that people are still adhering to those county and city ordinances. Right. Um, you know, and those yeah, state and federal laws will still apply even if, you know, we've designated that hunting is allowed in that in that area. And I don't know that there is one of those, other than those 15 state parks where it's still disallowed, I don't know whether we have a state park, frankly, that falls within a municipal boundary that would preclude that. I, I, I guess probably not. Otherwise, it, it wouldn't have been included as a state park that allows hunting. I, I would think not. But again, it, it probably pays to check and find out which ones right. have a, a, a local municipality that would have a rule for that. But uh, it's, it certainly seems to simplify things and, again, expands our number of public lands that are available to all segments of the public. So uh, I think, again, it's just another example of where uh, we're starting to make some inroads, and it's great. Unfortunately, I've got a story later in the show that maybe is not so good, and we'll we'll deal with that in the last segment of the show. But for this, this one, this certainly uh, looks and sounds like it's a big improvement on where we were. So, Faith, thank you. Uh, thanks for joining us. And, again, thanks for your weekly contributions to this program, finding guests and everything else and story ideas from the Division of Wildlife Resources. I think it certainly enhances what we're able to do here on this program. Yeah, I appreciate it. And yeah, thanks for always supporting, you know, Utah's wildlife and recreation. And yeah, we really appreciate all your coverage. Thanks again, Faith. Great to talk to you. Okay, we'll talk to you later. All right, that's Faith Heaton Jolly with the Division of Wildlife Resources. Really does a terrific job for them and for us as a show as well to keep us uh, abreast as to what's going on with the division. I've got so many things that, um, you know, that they're involved in. But I think this is an exciting one. This is a great cooperative adventure between between the uh, state parks and recreation and the Division of Wildlife Resources to allow hunting in those state parks. Just be sure you check, folks, because... Because there are still those 15 where it doesn't apply. But for the vast majority of state parks now, you can hunt uh, in those state parks. And again, there are some areas, some really good areas where you've got uh, large tracts of land that are part of our state park system that have been off limits in the past and especially for big game you know the upland game and maybe even waterfowl has been allowed in those areas but uh, we're certainly i think opening up a whole bunch more opportunities for those who hunt uh, for this uh, with this new law that went into effect last monday on the 24th of february and actually was passed in november at the uh, wildlife board meeting so that's the good news listen we're going to step aside when we come back we are going to talk fishing and uh, we'll talk river fishing with george summer not for the species that we usually think about during the winter but for one that goes maybe a little overlooked and one of the reasons maybe they're so large right now everybody on this Saturday morning. Boy, spring, it, it's starting to feel like it. I, I kind of hate to get too excited about it because uh, you get your legs cut out from under you if, in this state if you do in February. But, you know, technically we're getting there. I mean, we'll be the first of March here soon. Um, 
it's going to be yeah it's going to be one of those uh, let's hope that we get that spring that we uh, typically get because we're certainly in great shape with the with the water so we can all pray for some sunshine you know maybe only the uh, snowmobilers and uh, maybe the uh, the folks that are looking at the hard water fishing are the ones that are going to be a little bit upset by it but i think for the rest of us we could probably do with a nice dose of sunshine and be okay with that so anyway welcome back everybody let's uh, let's go to george because it's that time of the show when we uh, bring in george summer for his weekly fishing report and we talked a little bit george uh, over the last couple of weeks especially off the air you and i about devoting a segment maybe to the whitefish that kind of forgotten species that uh, gets some pressure in the winter months but on the rivers you can get them and boy there's some size to them and then we've got some lakes that have white fish too that don't get a whole bunch of publicity so i i, I asked you if you would be the man to talk about white fish and you i don't know if you gladly accepted the uh, the assignment but you did <laughs> accept the assignment a couple of weeks ago so um thank you for that and let's talk white fish Okay, um, so we'll start with uh, with mountain whitefish, which are typically found in our streams, and probably one of the best places to catch those is the Weaver River. Um, and the key thing there, it's, it's usually going to be nymphs at this time of year. Um, and when I've, uh, and I'm not an expert, so I'll, I'll throw that out there right now, but when I've caught them, I've used small nymphs under a strike indicator. And the key thing with whitefish, and this is what we've talked about before, is don't leave fish to find fish. So if you catch a whitefish in a hole, guess what? You're going to catch a bunch more of them in that same hole. Um, I know one guy who, he's he's a vacuum cleaner when it comes to fly fishing, <laughs> and he's caught as many as 40 and 50 whitefish out of the same hole. Wow. Um, so the, 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 And that's what makes them fun, you know, at this time of year, because you, when I go fishing, um, fishing's great, but catching's great, even better. <laughs> so... Um, that's what I'm looking for. A whitefish are going to give you that catching thing when you find those fish and you find the right um, fly or nymph that's going to work on them. And you're going to catch a bunch of them, and there are some dandies. I've caught whitefish up to three pounds, which will that'll stretch your string. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, as I mentioned, that's one of the, the reasons maybe they grow so big. No one really, well, no one. People do target them, and, and but most of them, to me, it seems, are caught accidentally by fishermen nymphing for rainbows or brown trout or whatever. Uh, most of them are not targeted. If you do target whitefish, and there are some crossovers, obviously, from a water column standpoint in the ecosystem, but uh, but there are some also some areas where whitefish are more prone to be than some of our other species yeah yeah and and you know typically at this time of year you're going to find them in, in a, a what we call a hole mm-hmm. um and that's that's where i'm going to target them now the, the challenge becoming are you going to find them at the head of the hole or the tail of the hole or in the middle um and that's a, a you know when you're on the water kind of when you find that first one Guess what? It's going to be the same probably throughout every. You, you go find a hole that's got these features, and you're going to go to another one. Make sure it has the same features. They're going to be in the same place. Um, and and again, like I said, I'm not an expert. I typically catch them as a side benefit of fishing for other things, but I've caught some dandies doing it, and they are a lot of fun. Um, they're a good winter 
keep your reflexes going type of program. Yeah, they are. Uh, they're. I mean, a very good fighting fish too. Uh, you know, for mm-hmm. for their size, and they they've got size. So the combination is pretty uh, is pretty impressive for both of them. We talk about catching them with nymphs. Let's talk about their diet a little bit. Obviously, the fact that you catch them nymphing means that they're eating a lot of those um, you know microorganisms and smaller bugs and things like that. They've got a smaller mouth than the trout, so they are a little bit. It is more difficult for them for prey. They've got to eat smaller, and you've got to think smaller when you go after them. But it doesn't mean that you won't catch some occasionally on lures or on something that you might think of more as a uh, as a bait for um, a brown trout or you know something of that nature. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and you know, depending on what what's going on in a particular water body, you can catch them on an egg pattern um, because a lot of times they're they're opportunists like everything else. Um, and, you know, but nymphs seem to be the best and, and seems to be a little closer to the bottom, seems to work the best. Um, and again, once you find them, you're going to catch a bunch of them if you keep at it. And that's the key thing is, is you go from fishing to catching. Um, and then you have a killer day when that happens. Yeah. And also we should uh, mention that we're natural bait is legal that's obviously good as well if you want to use small red worms are good night crawlers are effective but any any bait again in a legal area for for natural bait can often be very good as well for whitefish because they are opportunistic feeders yep yep and so you know it's a, it's a great winter opportunity and and you know you mentioned because uh, we, we're still on whitefish we we'll kind of transition into Fishing whitefish in a, in a, a lake. Uh, we've got some whitefish on at Bear Lake right now. It's the smaller ones that are going, but the other ones, the bigger ones, the Bonneville whitefish, are actually feeding on the eggs of the um, Bear Lake whitefish. So if you're out there targeting those, you can catch some of the bigger whitefish um, using an egg pattern. The salmon egg seems to be the best program right now. Uh, a little deeper. No, but everything's on them right now. Let's talk about the whitefish as table fare. What family are they? And and uh, they do have they're a little bonier than than the trout family, but they also I think got more flavor. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I don't know what family they are. You know, I, I should know that off the top of my head. But I don't know if they're uh, a herring or or. I, I I don't know. I mean, I have to confess the same. I'm like you. I don't know. But, um, I've always kind of thought they may have been part of the herring family, but that may be simply body shape and the fact that uh, they're more, more bony. But they do taste good. They do. And, and, you know, that's what my grandpa used to call them was freshwater herring. Um, we always called them the herring of the stream. And, you know, when I've done them, I've cooked them. I, I've actually cooked them like a trout, but I've, I've taken the skin off and breaded them, mm-hmm. and it is fantastic. Um, they are really, really good to eat. It's a white flesh, um, the ones that I've eaten, and they are, uh, if it wasn't for so many bones, yeah. <laughs> um, I would prefer those over trout. Trout have a lot of bones, too, but whitefish are a little more bony. Um, and then, you know, I know a lot of people smoke, um, will smoke them, and, and they're good that way as well. Uh, but I've always breaded them and, and uh uh, cooked them in a frying pan and, and just been extremely pleased with them. I think it's one of those fish, again, that is really underutilized. And obviously, it's all natural reproduction. I mean, the ecosystem tells us that this is a, a good fit for these fish, in, especially in the streams. Uh, and they've been there, I, I assume, 
for a long, long time. I, I don't know that they were ever stocked in this state, but uh, or whether they are native or not. I've got to confess, I don't know. I just know they're a lot of fun to catch. Well, and I, I'm pretty sure they're native. Both the, the ones in, the, in Bear Lake and mm-hmm. then the ones in the streams, the mountain whitefish are all native. And ever since I was a little kid, we've caught whitefish. Um, you know, because I used to fish the weaver a lot. And it was always an incidental fishing for something else. But um, they've been around as long as I can remember. My grandpa always called them freshwater herring. Yeah. And so I know he caught a bunch of them and and ate them as well. So they, they've been here for a long time. And you're right. I don't know that they've ever stocked whitefish. Um, they're just always there. And I think they're a good indication that things are working. That's true. Yeah, that's absolutely right, because I, I imagine they are kind of the canary in the coal mine to a certain extent, because they have been there so long. Now, you mentioned whitefish in Bear Lake. There are other places in the state, though, that have whitefish as well, besides our, our streams, correct? I mean, the Weber is probably, I think, the only one that I know that is the number one uh, river for whitefish. I'm sure we have them in other streams as well, but that's the best one that I know of in the, uh, in the state. What about, what about other lakes, other still, still water bodies? Uh, Bear Lake's the only one I'm aware of, but that's the only one I've ever talked to people okay. or, or been up and seen whitefish. So they could be somewhere else, but I have no idea, you know. And that's that's on me. That's bad on me because, again, it's like you said earlier. It's, it's a it's a sport fish that nobody really goes and targets. And I'm, I'm guilty of it as well. Yeah, we probably all could expand our fishing horizons a little bit by actively going out and, uh, and one, gearing up for them, whether that's fly fishing or, or, you know, you can use a spinning rod, especially with a, with a worm pattern on it. Uh, I'm not talking natural. I'm talk, talking like a San Juan worm or something like that or, or the egg patterns. You could fish them on spinning gear just as readily as on a fly. If, you, if you're not a fly fisherman, don't feel that you have to be a fly fisherman in order to get whitefish. Exactly. Well, and, and if you're fishing Bear Lake, you're going to be fishing with ice fishing gear. Right. Um, right now, the, the best thing is Swedish pimples um, with an ice fly below it as a dropper tipped with a salmon egg or a maggot. Um, and that's, that's, you know, that's a dovetails with what people are using for ice, uh, ice fishing. Um, and you can catch a, a Bonneville whitefish doing that. What about uh, non? Let's let's make the move to trout. Uh, what are you hearing? I, I hear Minersville is uh, is still producing fish. Have you heard anything from there? No, I have. And you know, Steve, if it hadn't have been so cold the other day, I'd have been to Minersville. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I got the boat this week. Talked about getting the, this the boat ready and everything. I yep. had the boat ready, but man, that wind was so cold. <laughs> but I, I, I had a friend that went down there, and and you know, we've talked about. Um, uh, drifting and dragging flies, and that's what he did out of a float tube, and they spanked him. Wow. Yeah, this is, yeah, uh, I mean, it, if you find soft water, this is a great time of year to just wind drift, if you can stand the cold and the wind, but looking at the temperatures, um, and especially the temperatures down south are starting to, to come into that range again, where the next few weeks, if you want to get that boat out, this is the time to think about seriously doing it. It is, you know, and, and it, I came really, really close, and, and you know, Minersville has no ice on it, um, <laughs> but right. it, was, it was windy, and, and uh, you know, that's a great place to head because there are some big trout in there. 
Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It's one of those lakes that you are probably going to get beaten up by the elements for the most part. Most of the time that you're going to want to fish it as far as the time of year when the fishing is best, um, whether that's late fall or this early spring or this time of year when you don't, uh, you know, I, I think you'd still have to call it winter, but you don't have the ice on it. The elements there are tough, but boy, the payoff can be great. Exactly. And, and you know, the same thing goes with Bear Lake. There's no ice on Bear Lake um, and the trout fishing there because they're feeding on those eggs as well, the cut throat and the lake trout, um, they're, they're spanking them up there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a little more familiar with Minersville. That's why I was going to head there. But, uh, you know, there's a couple of great places that have um, no ice on them that you can get out and go. Now, you mentioned a Swedish pimple up on Bear Lake. Is it, Some areas, are they iced over enough up there that you, you'll be fishing the ice? No. There's there's zero ice on there, so it's going to okay. be out of a boat. So it's going to be um, out of a boat. But you're going to be using the same things you would for ice fishing okay. to catch uh, Audeville whitefish. Right. All right. Well, yeah, it's strange to think. I mean, obviously, those of us who've been on Bear Lake in winters when we've had, not only has, has there been ice, but we've had those plates of ice that get picked up by the wind and stacked up on their ends, <laughs> and they'll be three and four feet thick uh, to, to see that, and then to have a winter like this where there is no ice on it. It's, uh, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not going to call it global warming, but climate change, I can, I can buy. Global warming, I'm not buying, but climate change, yes, I can. Uh, that's why we had ice ages multiple ice ages throughout the years uh because we've always had climate change but uh it is strange to think about bear lake with no ice on it when you can contrast it to those years when we've had that those huge plates of ice stacked up on the shore and then another three and four foot thick ice that's on the lake itself as well yeah well you, you called it earlier when you talked about wind yeah you know, that, that great big wind we had uh Oh, a week or so ago. Yeah, uh, blew skimmed all, it blew off. all the ice off Bear Lake. Yeah, that's so, and, and and that's what's going to happen. You know, sooner or later, we know that's going to happen uh, with our other lakes as well. This wind situation that we've had a couple of times over the last month or so, where we've had these gusts even in the valley down sixty miles an hour, uh, they're they're going to play havoc with the uh, with the ice on those lakes up above. You know that they're getting heavy duty winds. Exactly, and you know, it, and that's why it's a, I'm, I've been hesitant to to get the boat out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, go out in a windstorm. It's cold number one, and the wind's blowing. That's right. And then I say lots of I say lots of bad words when the wind blows. Yeah, not not a yeah. It's not a good combination in my house either. So, hey, listen, my friend, I appreciate uh, the homework you did on the whitefish. I, I again, you know, folks go down to uh, uh, go down to their their local. Um, uh, for sporting goods store, you know the Sportsman's Warehouse, and go see those folks. Just tell them you want to you want to think about fishing some uh, uh, some whitefish, whether you're spin fishing or you're fly fishing, and they will give you some good advice on what to buy. And who knows, you might just find another species of fish that's going to help you get through your winter a whole bunch, a lot more fun. Exactly. Catching and fishing. And fishing, yep, yeah, that's right. Yep. All right, my friend, I appreciate the uh, the info. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Steve. Okay. Oh, man, it sounds a whole bunch better when I get this uh, this music and the sun is actually shining. And we've got a four or a five in front of our temperature than a two or a one or even a three. So welcome, Gary Winterton, Mr. Hooked on Utah. How you doing, buddy? I am doing fabulous, Steve, and I concur with you, man. man. I love it when we start getting to... Uh, 
you know, 45 to 50 degrees mm. because it mm. gives you hope that spring is on its way. <laughs> it's right. It's right. And if you if we watch your show tonight at 11.05, right after talking sports on KUTV Channel 2, hooked on Utah, we're going to see spring in incarnate, I hope, right, from Lake Powell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we this last week we went down to uh, the Waweep area of Lake Powell to fish with our good buddy Ron Colby, president of Yamamoto Bates. Now, i got to tell you this. In the morning when we put the boat on the water, it was 25 degrees. Yeah. But by noon, by noon, it was 55 to almost 60, and not a cloud in the sky. And there's just something... You know, for people who've never been to Lake Powell this time of year, you need to get your boat out and go do it because there's no boats on the lake, and it's truly, uh, it's magical. It's so quiet and peaceful. I just, I love it. Yeah, it's a totally different place when you're not in May, June, July, August, and September, right? Oh, yeah, when it's just, you know, boats and everybody's going and there's just, it's loud the whole time. Um, Yeah, so, so we burned up. We went from Waweep and headed upstream with Ron Colby. They've been catching uh, these striped bass. And I've got to tell you, Steve, according to Wayne and then Ron, who have been fishing it now for the last month or so, spooning up these deep water stripers, it's the, it's the most healthy they've seen these stripers in 10 years at this point in the year. Normally, winter, you get those thin stripers. They're long and skinny. All of the fish were just butter balls. I mean, they look like wipers out of, um, you know, Willard, where they've got the big pot belly. They were, they are so thick. It's crazy. I know the shad population is really doing well right now, and that's a cyclical thing. But ever since they they uh, they've added the shad, they you know, thread from were there forever, and then they added the gizzard shad, the big ones. And ever since then, it certainly seemed to stabilize because that thread from population is really cyclical. But the gizzard shad that provides the the bigger fish, the bigger food, um, has just really changed the way those fish are shaped, and I think that's great. Uh, what a what a terrific uh, commentary on what's happened there. And Wayne Gustavuson was the guy who was really responsible for doing that. People said he was crazy and you could not put stripers in Lake Powell and have them survive and, and propagate. And he said, yes, you can. And obviously he was right. Yeah, so, so spot on. And, and what we're seeing, you know, last year where we had that big runoff, um, it kept the water cooler and, and until later into June. And here's what happens. Those thread fin and the gizzard shad will continue to spawn all the way up until the water gets to a, you know, gets too warm for them. So you can get, you know, up to six, you know, spawning cycles from these shad, and they'll just continue to put millions of shad in the water. And, you know, the phytoplankton, zooplankton is doing excellent. So you've got this great balance right now of rich water from the last two years of heavy runoff. And spooning up striper, Steve, is so much fun. What we did is we trolled around, and you'll see this on the show tonight, in anywhere from 20 feet to 60 feet deep. And we just kind of idled and looked at the graph. And as soon as we saw the balls of shad, you'd see the striper right below them. And we would take these, you know, ounce to two-ounce spoons, drop them straight down, and just start ripping them up. And those stripers just crush them. And it is a fun way to catch fish and uh and and i think it's underutilized because most people's boats are put away right now so we're going to show you tonight how to graph them depth 
and then how to spoon them up. And you'll see that these fish, you know, some are 14 inches, some are 24, 25 inches long, you know, pushing up to six pounds. But every one of them, whether it's a small fish or a long, large fish, they're just fat. And it, it was so fun. Well, can't wait to see the show, and don't have to wait long because it's coming up tonight. Hey, buddy, we appreciate it, as always. Um, I look forward to seeing the show. Uh, it is in the Amazon, but it's at least warmer temperatures than we are getting up here, and it's that time of year. Head on down to Lake Powell. Thanks, buddy. Absolutely. And just think, next week, it's just one week closer to spring, my friend. You got that right. All right, Gary Winterton. Tonight, 11.05, right after talking sports on KUTV Channel 2, it is hooked on Utah. And it uh, sounds like it's also hooked on Lake Powell. Listen, we're going to step aside. i got a final story coming up for you in just a moment. How the outdoor community is once again being targeted in this state. It is time for us to get on the phone, start making phone calls, and stand up. Because once again, we are bearing the brunt of the financial hit. And it's not right, folks. everybody final segment of our inside the outdoors on this saturday morning and boy just get that little feeling that maybe spring is in the air don't you now i recognize we're probably going to get dumped on sometime in march with our snow but um but at least you know i think we're a couple of weeks away officially from spring from a meteorological standpoint but it's starting to feel that way i know there's some golf courses that are uh, starting to to open Probably not for carts on some of them. You're walking on some, but it, I don't know. It's around the corner, and it's starting to feel like maybe, just maybe, we're going to be okay. So uh, I don't know about you, but, uh, yeah, I am I am excited about it, and I'm thinking that we might. <laughs> we just might be okay. Uh, and, uh, and, and our situation could change here in the next week or so. I recognize that, but... Hey, let's enjoy it while we can. All right, to the story that I mentioned off the top of this program, it, to me, this is just another example of how the state of Utah, or at least certain members of the state of Utah, have targeted the outdoor community, uh, and uh, unfairly so, by the way. Uh, this, is, uh, this was HB 197 in the state legislature, sponsored by Carrie Ann Lisenby. And here's the in 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 just in round terms. Here's what the bill would do: people who are not up to date on their child support payments would be prohibited from getting a, a permit, a hunting or fishing license in the state of Utah. Okay, so anyone who owes twenty five hundred dollars or more in child support, if this bill passes, would be prohibited from getting legal opportunity to hunt and fish in the state of Utah. Now, face value, you might say, hey, listen, those deadbeats, they really deserve to get pulled short, pulled up short. And I agree in principle. I just disagree with the methodology. I mean, for example, why target the outdoor community? Why don't we prohibit them from buying tickets to the symphony or to the uh, to the opera? or to a state-sponsored university, the University of Utah, or Utah State's basketball or football season. Why only target 
their ability to purchase hunting and fishing licenses here in the state of Utah. It seems to me that uh, that it would not be equitable to target. Now, think about where the money goes, by the way, from the sale of hunting and fishing licenses. Uh, if you put that money and you take that money, and I, I guess with the tweaks to this bill that have been proposed, uh, because those are on a payment system, apparently would be uh, not targeted with this, but apparently it's going to still be almost $500,000 that will be taken out of the state's coffers that should be used for our outdoor pursuits. Now, whether that's um, you know habitat restoration on a river, or fencing an area, or feeding um, deer, or putting guzzlers out in the West Desert, all those things that are funded by hunting and fishing permit monies that are now going to be taken out of the operating system. Why? Because we have deadbeats. If we know who they are, why don't we just take them to court, folks? Here's a novel concept. Let's make people responsible for their own behavior or lack thereof? Or why don't we stop them from getting a driver's license? If we know who they are, and we have to in order to apply this, there's got to be a database of people behind by the $2,500. Let's just make those folks take them to court, and let's go ahead and get the, the job done where it should be in the court. Not by stopping them from purchasing a hunting license or a fishing license but by requiring them to honor their legally contracted commitment. And that is, a court has adjudicated that they have to pay. Listen, I'm all for folks paying their child support, okay? I believe that there's no way the kids should be the ones who suffer for this, okay? But I also believe that neither should the rest of the community who is law-abiding and the rest of the outdoor community who are law-abiding citizens. Those people, me, you, should not be suffering either. Let's put the burden where it belongs on the person that owes the back child support. So let's take them to court. Let's get that money and let's quit screwing around with trying to find some other folks to be responsible for people's lack of behavior or bad behavior. But there's no reason in the world that it should come from the outdoor community. Now, this bill, if it passes, would uh, would go into effect July of 2021. So we've got a year and a half. If it's such a critical need, why don't we get them into court right now, folks? And let's just get it done. Um, they would only, if, if this goes through again, the way they would work it is you could, uh, you could buy a permit only after you're no longer behind on your payments and the Office of Recovery Services makes note of that payment. So here's the deal. HB 197, Carrie Ann Lizenby, probably well-intentioned, but you know what we say about good intentions. There's a lot of good intentions out there. But I'd love to know from the representative where she came up with the outdoor community that should bear the brunt of this. Why it shouldn't have been done by everybody, a shared burden, or more importantly, why it shouldn't be a specific burden for those people who are behind on their child support. $2,500, which in today's world, that's probably not a whole bunch, a couple of months behind. But I'm sure it's a lot of money for a single parent. And I agree wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly I agree, with the principle behind it and the premise behind it. That there is no way that deadbeats, whether they be moms or dads, and I'm sure most of them are dads, should get away with not making the payments that they have been, again, legally bound to make.
but to turn it on the outdoor community and not let those people buy hunting and fishing licenses and thereby deprive the outdoor community, all of us in the outdoor community, of the benefit of that dollar, those dollars, which are substantial. Again, nearly a half a million dollars on the conservative side. I've seen as high as a couple of million dollars that it applies to. And again, it is absolutely um, indefensible that anybody be allowed to get away with not making their child support payments. Indefensible. But it's also indefensible to put it on the outdoor community to share this burden when there's no reason that this community should have any additional responsibility than the opera community or the music community or the football fan or basketball fan community. It's a perhaps well-intentioned bill that is way, way off the mark as far as the application is concerned. All right, that's it. That's uh, that's the soapbox for today. I want to thank our guests for George and Gary, as always, who join us every week. Uh, I want to thank Faith Heat and Jolly from the Division of Wildlife Resources. And, um, and by the way, if you want to make a, a comment about the bill that I just spoke about, the easy way for you to do that is just to go ahead and um, make the phone call to your legislature, your representative. That bill, by the way, just in case you want to do it one more time, you want to know what the bill is, Carrie Ann Lisenby's bill. That's the bill, and it's HB 197, House Bill 197, if you want to weigh in on that. Listen, that's going to do it for us again. Thanks for joining me today. My pleasure to be here. I hope you'll join us next Saturday morning between 8 and 9 right here on 97.5 The Zone. Until then, as always, my friends, have a great week. Enjoy whatever good weather we've got coming for us, and uh, I'll be back. You have been warned.